seated. If you guys will bring the house lights up, I want everybody to find two or three moms that aren't your mom or your wife and give them a hug or a handshake or a high five and tell them happy Mother's Day. Okay, go. Find somebody this morning to love on. All right, enough of that. You may be seated. Well, thank you for being with us today on this Mother's Day. There's many of you here who you worship somewhere else or you're maybe in town to be with mom or grandma and you're worshiping with us today. And so thank you for uh, making us a part of your Mother's Day celebration. I see all the smart people here at 9 o'clock because y'all know that the restaurants are going to be packed. So pray for the rest of us who will do two services today and we'll eat supper about 7.30 tonight, somewhere when we find an open restaurant. Last year, I believe, it was on Father's Day that we watched a video called Stuff Dads Never Say. Well, we got something this morning that's called Stuff Moms Never Say. Let's check this out. You don't have to wash your hands. I have so much time to myself. Hey, walk away when I'm talking to you. My kids really respect my privacy. When this timer goes off, please turn it off and do not tell me. Thanks. Here, can you use up all my battery? Don't call me when you get there. I don't want to know where you are. It is just too quiet in this car. Okay, we're about to leave for church, so if you're going to make a huge mess, you better do it now. I don't know. Your dad usually does everything around here. All of these people are such good drivers. Eating dinner is completely optional. Hanging up your towel is completely optional. Flushing the toilet is completely optional. Okay, this time, can you smile more like a crazy lunatic? Hey, you want to dig through the fridge for the fifth time today? I'd definitely rather be here than at the beach. I am loving the look of these chips on the floor. I am loving the smell of your feet in my face. I am loving this back pain. Get a massage, ew. No thanks. Take anything you want from my closet and don't worry about putting it back. Don't look at the camera. Look over there. If your sister takes your toy, just give her a good smack on the head. Hey, come drink that grape juice in here on the carpet. It's dinner time. Everybody come get a snack. Hey, did you know you can wear the same pair of underwear all week long? Good stuff. All right, before we get to our Mother's Day message today, let me remind you of next Sunday. 
Next Sunday is, say it with me, Love Your City Sunday. Man, y'all sound good. And we are so excited because next Sunday we're going to unleash over 300 of you who have signed up to serve our community. So let me just remind you of the most important thing that you need to know. Team leaders, we need you to be here at 8 a.m., okay? Everybody else, we need you to be here at 8.30. Everybody say 8.30. That means all the late people. I'm going to look at the ceiling, and I'm not going to call anybody out and look at anybody. But all the people who come to church 10, 15, 20 minutes late, we need you to be on time. 8.30 next Sunday morning, you're going to come in. You're going to register. We're all going to gather together in here. We're going to have a quick rally. And by 9, our goal is to be out serving the community, and then we'll be back here in a few hours to have lunch together. If you've not signed up, you can still do that. And we have a, a lot of jobs that we're going to be covering all throughout the community. And then we're going to come back on uh, May the 22nd, the following week, and we're going to celebrate what God has done. We're going to share stories and testimonies and see pictures and video, and we're going to have a great time. So what time do you need to be here, everybody, next Sunday? 8.30, okay? We'll see you here next week. Well, I am so excited this morning to have, I, I'm not going to say a guest speaker because she's not a guest because she's right here every Sunday morning uh, leading worship, but I am so thankful for the wife that God blessed me with uh, 26 years ago in February, and um, I don't know if that's uh, clapping for 26 years of her putting up with me or me catching her. No, no peanut gallery down here. Yeah, yeah, that's what that is. I heard that. Okay, I'm taking notes. All right, I know who I'm gonna talk to next time I preach. Right over here, but. Um, I am so thankful for, for my wife. I'm so thankful for the way she, she's a, been a fantastic mom to our three kids, the way she serves them and has loved on them and been there for them. But, but even more than that, the way she serves and loves on you. She, uh, I wanted to be in this seat a long time before she did. It took a while for me to convince her that God was calling her, too, to be a lead pastor's wife. I felt the call to be a lead pastor long before she felt a call to be a lead pastor's wife. And for many years, I told her, I was like, Tressa, you can do this. And she's like, I don't think I can do this. But now, for almost five years, I have been amazed at how God has used her to pour into this body. She pours into these ladies here through small groups, through text and calls and through our ladies retreat and uh, and over the last few weeks as she's been preparing um, I've once again seen her dig in and prayer and the word not to just find something that she could just come up here and preach but say God what is your word for this house this day so Tressa I love you I am super proud of you I am so thankful that God put us together and I know that she has a word for this house today. So will you welcome Tressa as she comes this morning to speak. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> I have to get my um, eyes dried out. Sorry. Wow, what an intro. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I... Um, I don't take this lightly, and I am, um, I know that I don't have to be up here, and I know that um, Les doesn't have to let anybody else up here, but he does, and so I'm very thankful 
not for us just to have this mushy gushy moment while you all just wait, but <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> but um, thank you, and I do. I am honored to be in your place um, today. And um, so, <laughs> with that being said, um, so happy Mother's Day. And uh, raise your hands if you have or had a mother. Okay, great. Hands down. If you could stand up here, believe it or not, some did not raise their hands. So for those of you who did not, I don't know if there was confusion on that or if you just want to take your pointer finger. Come on. You didn't raise with me here. Now you got to put it right here, right above your waistband. Feel around. You should have a hole called a belly button that <laughs> you were like literally directly connected to a mother at some point. So now that we have that established, <laughs> how many of you are currently mothers yourselves? Wonderful. And I just want to, again, give you an amazing ovation. Yes. You all are rocking it. You are killing it. And I want to thank you for all that you do. Uh, because I am one as well. But that's really all that um, today has to do with Mother's Day, just the fact that I'm a mother and up here, because we're going to read my, uh, the text real quick for this message, and then, boy, once you see the title, you're going to be like, wow, that's weird, did not see that coming. So if we'll um, go ahead and jump in here. If you'll turn to the book of Psalms with me, and we're going to read from Psalm chapter 84. And starting with verse number five. And for those of you who may not have it with you, we have it on the screen, of course. What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings, they will continue to grow stronger, and each of them will appear before God in Jerusalem. And my beautiful Mother's Day message today is entitled, Broken, Bitter, Beautiful. Let's pray. Lord, even now. We know you are here because where the praises of you are, you inhabit that place. So, Lord, we already sense your presence. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to do a, an amazing work this morning in your children, in your people, in those who claim to love you. And have declared that with their lives. I pray, Lord, that as your word goes forth today, that it will dig up roots that we've allowed to possibly lie dormant, to be hidden, to not deal with, and those that are shallow and just beginning. Reveal to us, Lord, today these areas that we may find healing and that we may be used of you for your kingdom. 
Lord, I pray that you would do what only you can do today. And it's in your name that we pray this, and we believe, and we expect. Amen. Well, as you can tell by the title of my message, this is not that sweet celebration of all the amazing ways that God has created us as mothers. Happy Mother's Day. You're bitter. So get over it and have a blessed day. Oh, and before you go, go ahead and grab something before you leave. We'll see you later. (laughs) Um, Nor is it just for a certain group in here called mothers. Because, see, bitterness is um, it's not gender-specific, nor is it age-specific. So those who are of the male persuasion and of the younger adults, this is for you as well. And don't let the word beautiful stumble you either, gentlemen. <laughs> if you want, every time I say it, you can, you can substitute it with handsome. So we can say broken, bitter, and handsome. That'd be all right. But I do want to remind you that God in all of his glory is described as beautiful. And so it'll be okay. Man, I hadn't even gotten into this thing. So I was asking the Lord what he wanted us to hear today. And several ideas came to mind. And I was jotting them down on my notepad and I had about four or five things going on, and it just wasn't it. None of those were it. They were really things that I may have, you know, taught on or spoke on before, or maybe just even a good devotion that I was like, oh, is that it, Lord? Is that what you want me to share? And it just wasn't clicking. But as I pulled back and looked at my notes, the one word that kept coming up as a point within those ideas was this word of bitterness. And I'm like, God, are you sure? I mean, that's not the most positive of words as a celebration of mothers. And I kind of struggled with that. And then he reminded me of an incident that happened with Jaden. That's our 20-year-old daughter several years ago. There was a particular young lady who shall rename or uh, remain nameless to protect the guilty. <laughs> Um, who treated her horribly. She treated her very disrespectfully. And as Jaden is uh, recounting to me what this child did, y'all, I wanted to snatch that child up. And I wanted to do everything she had done to my Jaden. Of course, I didn't. But um, it wasn't because, well, Jesus is in me, and he wouldn't want me to do that. It was because they were three hours away. That was why. (laughs) I I didn't have the time, but man, did I want to. The hardest thing about that was that as I, every time I heard that child's name, every time um, I saw her, every time someone wowed over her amazingness, I took another drink from my cup of bitterness towards that child. And meanwhile, my daughter had made amends with her. That was hard because I wanted to hold on to the hurt that she didn't even do to me, but she did do it to my own. I wanted to hold on to that bitterness that I was letting take root towards that child. But Jaden talked with her. She said, you know, this is how that made me feel. 
And the girl said, you know what, I didn't even realize that. I am so sorry. And she apologized to her. And so when she comes in into town and they, they visit with each other, they'll hang out, talk with each other. And meanwhile, I'm like, <laughs> that's not right. I can't justify that. <laughs> but you know what? It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And I know that's very minor compared to some things that some of us have been through. I understand that. And, uh, and I've been through much worse things. Um, but, you know, especially when it happens to us personally. It's hard sometimes to work through, isn't it? And I know that we've all been there at some point. So this morning we're going to dig around in our backstories, Yay! In our history. And allow the Holy Spirit, just like I prayed for us earlier, to reveal to us how we've handled those tough, even traumatic moments. And some of us may not have to dig too deep because it's that fresh. But some of us may have buried it so deep we have a bitter herb garden <laughs> growing on top of it. Then we're going to forgive those. See, some of you are just like, mm -mm, I'm out. I'm like, let's see what time is it. Mike could go get brunch about now. Um, whoever caused those brokenness feelings that you have, whoever caused our brokenness, which also ironically includes ourselves. So we may finally heal once and for all and give God praise for it. Because, as our scripture said, when, not if. But when we go through that valley of weeping, when we go through those most difficult moments that we never saw coming, never expected in all of our lives, it will become a place of refreshing springs. The autumn rains will clothe it with blessings. Somehow, we will continue to grow stronger. And some translations say, from strength to strength. We may have days in between where we don't feel real strong, but there will be another flood of strength that the Lord brings. And we will appear before God in Jerusalem. So, the first thing we need to do is remember the facts of our past. Brace yourselves. <laughs> this may become a little uncomfortable for you or a little difficult. You ready? So here we go, facts of our past. Number one, we are all broken. We are all sinners. We came out sinners. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Again, man, it just keeps coming back like a flood. We are all sinners. Not one of us is perfect. No, not one. And while some of us are more broken than others, we have all experienced or will, according to Scripture, experience brokenness at some point. So we're all broken. And if somebody tries to pay, play off like they're not, they're, they're joking. They're lying. They're covering up. So that's number one. Number two, our brokenness was caused from one of two sources. Either from someone else or from ourselves. We all have come from different backgrounds, different experiences. So where do you come from this morning? 
Are you dealing with past wounds? Let's dig into those a little bit. Things that have been done to you. Maybe I've got a whole list here. Maybe it'll, it'll be one of yours or several or all. Your dad left when you were young, when you were younger. Maybe your mom left. That happens too, doesn't it? Maybe you had alcoholic parents or, or parents who were terribly addicted to drugs. Um, maybe a family member or a friend of the family sexually abused you. Maybe you have uh, been raped. Maybe you've gone through verbal, physical, mental abuse of some sort. Your spouse committed adultery and broke their vows to you. Maybe you've experienced loss of a child, loss of a spouse, loss of a, a friend, another family member, a friend that was close enough to be like that family to you and for you. Maybe it wasn't a loss of a person. Maybe it was a loss of a job that absolutely knocked the wind out of you and you went into this dissension of financial dire straits. Never saw it coming. Or maybe it was like my Jaden and you saw someone else treated wrongly and it affected you greatly, deeply. So those are past wounds that we didn't have any control about. We didn't have any control over what had been done to us or someone we know. But then the other one is past choices. Could have been from your past wounds. Because these things happened to you, maybe the choices that you made as a result was that you became promiscuous. Maybe in that promiscuity, you got pregnant. And you took it one further step and you got an abortion. Or maybe that's not you at all. Maybe you committed adultery. Maybe you're the one. Maybe you've had multiple failed marriages. Or maybe it really was your own choices. You had no reason. You were brought up in a great family. Great surroundings. There was nothing there. Other than your choice to just be rebellious. In spite, you're going to do what you're doing or did what you did. Maybe it was the choice of friends. Oh, my gosh. I can't even tell you how often less than I would say, show us your friends and we'll show you your future to the students that we led. Maybe it was a choice out of desperation. I don't know if there's going to be another opportunity, so I better take this one. I don't know if there's going to be another person who's going to show me the love and attention that they are. So I better take them. Desperation. Or maybe it was the choice to take that first sip, the first puff, the first peak. And now you are knee deep, over your head deep in addictions. Those were your past choices. Our brokenness was caused from one of those. Maybe it was all of that. And then the third one, we choose how we respond to our brokenness. Doesn't matter where it came from. At some point, it's up to us what we do with it. Whether it was done to us or we chose to do it, we chose what broke us. We have to choose what we do with it at that point. And from that point on, 
And in that, we have two huge choices to make. And it's up to us. And this is where we're landing today. And this is where we're, we're going to dig in today. The first choice is we can become from broken. We can go from broken to bitter. Or we can move from broken to beautiful. And the choice is ours, right? You still with me? You're not angry, are you? Okay, because it's like, okay. So let's look at the first choice, broken to bitter. There's not much of a better story that illustrates this than the story of Naomi. Miss Vicki did an awesome job last year if you were here, and we spoke about six minutes each on the ladies who were in the bloodline of Jesus, and Naomi is one of them. She's the, um, the mother-in-law to Ruth. And so if you're following along, if you'll uh, flip to Ruth chapter 1, and we're going to dig into her story a little bit today. And um, I want to see if there's anything that you can relate to uh, that we point out from her story. So Ruth chapter 1, starting with verse 1. And, uh, and I'm going to uh, paraphrase a little bit here and there, too, so we can move through it a little quicker. So it says, In the last days, when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilon, saying it like I know it. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women, Hmm. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about ten years later, both Malin and Kilon died. This left Naomi alone, without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. And we pause right here for a second. Because what happens on the way, Naomi tells Orpah and Ruth to just go back to their families. She tells them that she doesn't really have anything to offer them, they're not going to wait around for her to find another husband and to get married and have children and, and, and wait for them to grow up. That's just weird. So she has nothing to give them. And they weep and they cry and they, they're saying their goodbyes. Well, Orpah does eventually go back. But in the midst of this, look at verse 13. Naomi says, things are far more better for, or bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Orpah returned to her home. But Ruth committed herself. And y'all know the story. She committed herself to Naomi, her people, and her God. And we skip down to verse 19. So the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited of their arrival. How many of y'all go into Rinkin? Ain't nobody even know. Like, yeah, I'm going to Zaxby's. Woohoo! Is this really Mike Shepard going to Zaxby's? <laughs> Mike, we're so glad to see you. I have never had that happen. 
And so here comes Naomi back to her hometown, and they are stoked. Is this really Naomi who left 10 years ago? You've come back. And look at her response. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life every, oh, I'm sorry, very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? And watch now how Naomi responded to her brokenness. We just saw a little bit of it, didn't we? Oh, we're going to break it down. So here comes the first way. Number one, I have been done wrong. Does that sound familiar? I've been done wrong. Now, Naomi has been dealt a horrible, tragic blow to her life as she knew it at that point. No one's denying that. But look at this again in verse 13. Things are far more bitter for me than for you. You remember who she was saying that to in this point? She's saying it to Ruth and Orpah. Because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me, I, far more bitter. And then in verses 20 through 21, this is the one we just read, she gets into town and she tells them the same thing. Look at this one more time. So, is it really her, the women asked? Oh, no, because things have happened since I've been gone. Things have changed. It's not the same. I've been done wrong. Did you notice in those two verses right here, it says, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. In the next verse, why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. And verse 13. Who's she blaming? She's blaming God. Five times. To different people. He's done this. Have you been there? I've, I've been there. In the midst of the tragedy, in the pile of ashes that surrounded you, in the harrowing aftermath that you've been left with, you finally came to the conclusion, it's God's fault. He's in control of everything. He's allowed this to happen. He could have stopped it, but he didn't. He chose for this to happen. Why did he cause this? How could he allow this? Why did he do this to me? I'm sure you've been there too. I'm afraid some of you are probably right in the midst of it right now where you sit. It may not be everybody in here, but it is somebody. I wonder if that bitterness in Naomi intensified the closer she got to Bethlehem. Because after all, this is where it all started. This was the site of the good old days. This is where she met her husband. This is where her two boys were born only to come back with a foreign wife of a deceased son. Did she look at Ruth and get hit with so many memories you couldn't handle it? She couldn't take it? 
Does she not once think that Ruth could be grieving too? She was a widow also. She had lost her husband of 10 years. But Naomi is going to declare that things are far more bitter for her. In other words, my pain is worse than your pain. You couldn't possibly understand the hurt that I've experienced. You couldn't even begin to imagine what I've been through. Believe me, it's far worse than anything that you've gone through. Naomi even claimed that she came back empty with nothing. Does she not recognize the commitment and the love and the sacrifice that Ruth had made? Ruth chose to come with her, not to go back to her family, where she would have been embraced and welcomed and taken care of. No, she didn't, because that's what bitterness does. It's exactly what bitterness does. It makes us unable to see past our own circumstance objectively. We make exaggerated or untrue claims full of negativity and cynicism and see everything from that point on, every circumstance, not just the one that caused the first part of bitterness, every circumstance after that, every relationship, even this one with the Lord, to be viewed through those tainted, wounded lens until it becomes who we are. I have been done wrong. And now, I am bitter. Look at verse 20. Naomi names herself, renames herself bitter. Look at what Naomi means. And this blows me away. Naomi means pleasantness. And look at what Mara means. And just like that, Naomi's bitterness became her identity. And actually what happened was, Naomi misinterpreted her reality. Because remember, she couldn't see it. You ever put on a scratched pair of sunglasses and you think there's a ginormous elk in front of you and it was just a really just a spot of coffee or something <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally skews your view right yes she was left to grieve the loss of her husband and then her sons her soul was experiencing deep deep sorrow but that was not her only reality that was very real but it wasn't the only reality. The sadness of your soul impacts everything, doesn't it? It sure does. But just like Naomi, you may misinterpret, misconstrue your circumstances, your God, and those around you. But God shows us so much grace and so much compassion and patience to work through the bitterness and brokenness. To work through the sorrow. Through the loss and through our mess. Look at Psalm 34, 18. You know this scripture. 
The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I'm afraid some of us may push them away because we're so crushed. We don't go to our source, especially if we're blaming him, right? And then Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for the help. And he will wait. He will wait for you to wrestle. We've talked about that a lot on Wednesday nights, hadn't we? That closeness that you get when you wrestle someone, especially when it's the Lord. Wrestle through your pain. Wrestle through the wise and wrestle with him. He'll wait. So Naomi's response is, I have been done wrong. I am bitter. But here comes a turn. You know how David would always, and, and other psalmists, they always, especially when David was going through what he was going through and being chased by Saul and all of that. And we've talked about that here too. I don't know where you are, God. My eyes are drenched with tears. I don't know if I can go on anymore. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And yet, you are faithful. You are good. There's always that turn. So number three, I will still trust the Lord. Look with uh, me at Ruth, um, with me at uh, Ruth chapter two, real quick, 17 through 20. So Ruth gathered barley there all day, and when she beat out the grain that evening, it filled an entire basket. She carried it back into town and showed it to her mother-in-law. Ruth also gave her the roasted grain that was left over from her meal. Where did you gather all this grain today? Naomi asked, where did you go? Where did you work? May the Lord bless the one who helped you. She is excited. She is amazed at how much Ruth has brought into their home. So Ruth told her mother-in-law about the man in whose field she had worked. She said, the man I worked with today is Boaz. May the Lord bless him. Naomi told her daughter-in-law, he is showing his kindness to us as well as your dead husband. He is helping take care of us. There's her turnaround. She realized in that moment that God was providing for her through Ruth, the one who stayed, and through Boaz, their family member. And she beautifully teaches her Moabite daughter-in-law who has no clue about Jewish tradition. How to re uh, present herself to Boaz to be redeemed. This brings us to choice number two. Broken to beautiful. We're going to skip to Ruth chapter four, starting at verse 13. Then Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. Then he slept with her. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. Because that was a big concern. That was the other blow about this. 
There really was not a man left in her home to take care of her. And we had seen where prophets had stepped in to help those widows, right? Yeah. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Wow, what a compliment. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. What a beautiful new beginning. Naomi chose to take off the bitter lenses of her brokenness of her past sorrow, and see what God was doing in her midst. While her soul struggled with intense, bitter feelings, her faith in God remained alive. In the midst of deep sorrow, she continued to praise God, even when she could not make sense of it. I've been there too, and I know you have. She acknowledged that God was still good. What if she had continued to declare herself bitter? What if she had made the choice to continue to blame God? She would have missed out on not only Ruth's redemption, but her own. And she would have missed out on being Obed's grandmother. She would have missed out on being such an integral part of the genealogy of King David and ultimately King Jesus the Redeemer himself. Author John Sowers began writing letters to his daughters when his mother passed away, and he realized he wouldn't be able to have one more conversation with her, and he didn't want them to miss out. And as he started writing these letters, this was just a couple years ago in 2020, he eventually published them into a book called Say All the Unspoken Things. And this is what he wrote. Some of the most beautiful creatures go through the harshest struggles. They often come out of the struggle changed, born again, beautiful. Someone once said that we marvel at a butterfly's beauty but seldom ponder the changes it has gone through to become beautiful. Without a cocoon, there would be no butterfly. Flowers, too, are buried before they can bloom. Diamonds are formed under intense pressure and heat. Gold is purified by fire. No struggle, no diamond, no fire, no gold. We're going to watch this video clip. And um, instead of us watching it and listening to it, I'm just going to talk through it. So you can go ahead, Jack, and, and start that. Thank you. This is an art, um, a Japanese form of art, and you may um, be familiar with it. It's called kintsugi. Anybody ever heard of that? I know you've heard of sushi. It's kintsugi. <laughs> this is an ancient Chinese art form of repairing broken objects with gold. They believe that when something has suffered damage, the flaw reveals its history. And so instead of hiding the flaws, they're highlighted with a mixture of lacquer and gold flakes. And as a result, 
the repaired piece, get this, becomes more beautiful than its original state. Its worth is far more valuable than it was before it was broken. When I came across this, I was amazed at how that is a perfect illustration of God's beautiful work in us. He is the artist who makes all things beautiful in its time. He is the one who puts our broken pieces back together and makes us more valuable than we were in our original state. And rather than holding on to those broken pieces, we must trust him with them. Our story is his story of our redemption. Isn't it beautiful or handsome? This reminds me of what Job said when he was at the lowest point of his life. All had been stripped away from him. There are several, so many in the Bible that we could, have, we could have talked about today. And in that moment, he could not find God. In Job 23, he says, where are you, God? Where is God? I've looked to the north, to the south. You're nowhere. And then he says this in verse 10, but he knows, I may not see him, but he knows right where I am. He knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. And back to John Sowers writing his letters to his daughters, he goes on to say, Struggles can have a negative effect. Some people never get over them. Some people choose to be bitter. They nourish their negative thoughts. They blame and lash out at others. And some people stay bitter. They live in the struggle, even if it happened years and decades ago. And for the rest of their lives, they carry the struggle as their story. The story they tell themselves and others. But look at this, because I wanted you all to see this. But others forgive. They learn wisdom and emerge from the struggle, humbler and more beautiful. The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Oh, if we could grab onto that truth this morning. This is God's redemptive work in action. This is how he works all things for whose good? Our good. This is how God takes what the enemy meant for evil and what the enemy meant to destroy us with. And he uses it to make you stronger, to make you more humble, to make you gentler, more appreciative, 
to make you more compassionate to others, not more bitter, not more cynical, not more hateful. But it's up to us if we want to allow him to do that or not. Watch this. I was reading back over the story again earlier in the week, and this jumped out at me. Remember when Les said he was going to unleash the beast? (laughs) I guess that's what the verse did to me. Oh, whoa. Watch this. Ruth chapter 1, verse 7. With her two, I don't know if anybody picked up on this. Maybe you have. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place she had been living. (laughs) And they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Look at this. They took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Now, Judah is a place. But in Hebrew, it means praise. But they had to choose to take that road to lead them back to that. And so everything that happens is somehow able to be used to give God praise if we'll let it. Even in the midst of sorrow, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of life situations. And what are you going to do with it? So if the praise team will go ahead and get in place, here's what I want us to do. Because I know, again, I told you, I warned you. (sighs) They're going to start singing clean. And um, some of you, maybe most of you will be familiar with that. I don't want us to move quite yet. Because here's where we land today. And recapping everything that we just talked about, we said we're all broken. We said we have a choice to become either bitter or to become beautiful. Can I tell you that these cannot coincide? You can't be bitter and beautiful because I want to tell you something. That bitterness will leak out. And then you're beautiful. It's a facade. But you can be healed, and you can be absolutely handsome, beautiful. And we choose to allow God, we choose to allow God to lead us back to praise Him through whatever that is. And how do we do that? It's by telling your redemptive story. Because healing is twofold. When you tell your story, we've, and I, you know, we talked about this so much again on Wednesday nights. When you tell your story, the good, the bad, the ugly, the shameful. When you tell your story, it heals you. And it heals the one who's hearing you. It works twofold. But if you keep it to yourself... You can't praise God for it. You can't praise the one who did it. So what I want us to do 
is as they sing through this a little bit, I just want us to bow our heads and I want us to ask the Lord, what is it that I need from you this morning? So can you bow your heads with me? These are the three areas that I want you to think about. What are your broken pieces you're still holding on to? This is the tough one. Who do you need to forgive? It's not about feeling like forgiving them. And that does include yourself. And then the third thing, how can God receive praise through your brokenness and what's happened with you?
you still holding on to those broken pieces is it needing to forgive the person or the people who caused the brokenness and you'd really rather hold on to it because there's something about that that makes it justifying can I tell you that we don't have We don't have a right to not forgive and to stay bitter. There is no right. Jesus himself, while he was hanging, forgave what they were doing. We don't have a right. Or um, is it figuring out how God can use what you've been through? So let's stand. And um, I'm just going to pray for all three of these areas. So if that was you, um, we're going to trust that the Lord's going to move you on from these places that you've been. 
so that you can live free. Because Jesus also said he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly, right? So, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done this morning. We thank you for taking our broken pieces. Lord, for those who are having a hard time releasing them, I pray that you would help them to know that they're going to put them in good hands. And that they can trust you with those broken pieces to make something beautiful out of them. And so, Lord, we lift those people up to you that are still struggling with that, even if it happened years ago. But the hurt is like today, fresh. And I thank you, Lord, that they've been allowed that freedom to hand those things over and allow you to do your work. Lord, those who are struggling to forgive, those who have hurt them. Father, the typical response would be to say, well, Jesus forgave us, so we have to forgive others. But Lord, I know it's hard because the deeper the hurt and the deeper the pain, the more difficult it is to forgive and to feeling like we're giving it um, less validity, like it didn't really happen. So Lord, I pray that as you told us in your word, those who are brokenhearted, those who are having a hard time, help them to choose regardless of the feelings to forgive. We thank you because in that forgiveness there is freedom and they would be free from the hurt. And so Lord, I pray for all of us because we all have a history. Ours are still being written. We all have pasts. And I pray, Lord, in this room that you would receive all glory through our brokenness, that you would be the one that we would lead back to Judah. Help us to take that road to give you all praise for everything that has happened to us and that we would truly, honestly, as raw as it may be, and sincerely ask you to help us share our stories for your kingdom. That we can tell others how you have redeemed us. And Lord, we thank you for all of our mothers. I pray special blessings today over them. I pray serenity and peace in the midst of chaos. And I pray that you would remind them that they are amazing. And we give you all glory, God. Seal 
what you have done here with your Holy Spirit. In your name, Lord, we pray and we believe it is done. Amen. So mothers, before you leave, this is reminding us of the Kintsugi artwork. And for those who don't give a flying flip about it returning back to the sermon, there's candy in there too. So, <laughs> Some women are getting a little miffed because the guys get this whole baggie of goodies. And I'm like, all right then. So make sure you grab one on your way out. Thank you all so much. And okay, have a good, wonderful rest of your day. <laughs>